Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast, hosted by Joshua Shaw and Ryan Buckeye. What's going on, everybody? Welcome inside Two Guys, One Shaker Cup Podcast. Josh Shaw, not wearing a hat, showing off your, that's your job, right? You cut your own hair. No, I went, I went and got a cut. Texas has been open for a while, so now we... uh, we Why don't you rub it in the faces of everybody in America right now who are sitting there listening to this podcast, contemplating punching a hole in the wall, Josh. Not everybody's (laughs) open. Yeah, yeah. I took advantage. I think like the first day that uh, the salons were open, I went and got a haircut because I was I was over it. All right. So this is a we need to do a poll because I need to know if men call them salons or not, because you just call it a salon. I feel like women call yeah, I them salons. I, it's, it's confusing to me because where I go, it's called Bird's Barber Shop. So you go to a barber shop. But they do women's and men's, which confuses me because I think of a barber shop as a as a men's um, place where you get your haircut. So like the whole, maybe it's all because of gender fluidity right now. Like sure. anything can be called anything. Is that the case? I I mean, so a barber shop is now a salon, and a salon's a barber shop. Yeah, it can be anything. I mean, whatever they want to self identify. I can't fine. believe you just called a barber shop a salon. I mean, Jesus, man, you might have to turn your man card in. They might not service you anymore. They might tell you. They might tell you. They may post your picture on the wall and say, "If you see this guy, turn him away." No matter how much money that Jay Shaw Consulting is bringing in. Um, so, Josh, probably good point. Like Texas opened early, businesses are are opening up, states are kind of opening up, and um, it's interesting because we don't know if there'll be a wave two or not. But that'll be interesting to see if that happens. Because I mean, it could happen again. Like we could shut everything down in six months again, which I mean wouldn't surprise me at this route. But I think today what we want to do is we want to dive into our industry in terms of you know, get into the reality of the situation. Who are the winners and losers during the last four months? And, um, you know, there are going to be brands today that we talk about who maybe traditionally would be known as, as a major winner that might have been a loser over the last four months. And I don't, when, we, when you talk about this, I'm going to preface this by saying, like, for me, I have a couple brands I want to talk about that I, I felt didn't do enough. It's no disrespect to the brands. Like, I totally understand why they're waiting or holding back. But, I, but I, I don't think that they won. I don't think that they won in the last couple of months, which then, if you ain't first, you're last. So we, we, we talk about that uh, on the show today. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a ton of different ways to kind of look at this because I don't necessarily think there's, a, you know, there's these clear cut winners and losers because I think everybody had exposure in one way or another. Right. And obviously, we're going to look at this from like so many different variables, I guess, like we could look at it from sales, we could look at it from product launches, we could look at it from whatever. But I think it's just a good conversation overall, because regardless if it, there is a second wave or just something else fundamentally happens similar to this, like, hopefully people can take this podcast and go, Oh, maybe I should have done a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should have you know, been a little bit more active. And we've talked about this on so many different podcasts where like we, you need to keep, keep, I guess like being active because, be yeah, yeah. Because I think that in today's age, regardless of, um, if you're launching big things or doing these bit, like there is a huge, like shuffle of papers and you get, down to the bottom really quickly, all of a sudden you are almost forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's an element of like that mind share, just like keeping things going that is important. You don't have to obviously go towards like the most riskiest things ever, but there needs to be at least some activity that keeps you on the front of the pile. I think a lot of people are going to look at this and be like, to you mentioned a couple different things, like sales, distribution, but everybody, everybody seems to turn to product launches. It's like whoever launched products during this time are our winner. That's not true either. Like you could launch products and fall flat on your face. And what's not sexy for a lot of people out there is distribution gains. A lot of people don't want to talk about like, you know, getting an HEB or, or maybe a, a large retail store chain somewhere. That's important because if, you, if you're not launching products, but you're acquiring customers during a time in which, 
you know, foot traffic in sports nutrition stores are down, but grocery stores are up. Why not? Right. I mean, so and I say that like thinking out loud, you know, in terms of like a Redcon one, like they didn't do a lot in terms of product launches in, in the beginning. And I, you know, part of me feels like they lost a little bit because they had so much planned. They, you know, talking to Aaron, I know talking to Aaron, Q1, Q2, we were supposed to see the MRE light RTD, which could have been, you know, impactful in the RTD protein market because you've covered premier protein, like left, right, upside down, right? They're like, they're the winners or they're the, they're the, Category owner, them and Muscle Milk, Cytosport yeah. Sporter, Pepsi, or whoever owns it now. Um, but Aaron and Redcon was going to come out with a you know a non dairy alternative to that, and it was good. I tried it. I tried it in January. They sent them to me in January. They were great. They were going to go to go to market with them, and I think they. I would assume they elected to hold it. And I know they're waiting for line time on the product, which um, you know that can. That's the thing about beverage. You could wait for a long time to get line time, um, but it, it's still not here. So you know, but. Beyond that, like Aaron, I know, was looking at getting Emory bars into more grocery chains because that's where foot traffic was up. So, and I can't remember if, if he, I think he secured one in Q1 or Q2. I think HEB was like official. Um, I think they were already in HEB. I think Mayor might have Yes, been. that's what it is. Um, Sorry, Mayor was one. So, like, for the outside thinking, like, okay, Redcon could have done more. Well, they got, they got a big grocery change, and that's big because that's, that's a, a guaranteed PO. There's foot traffic going into those stores because they, can, they can't go out to eat. So they have to cook at home or they have to Uber eat. So, you know, and they also did something that I thought was unique. And I think you covered this as well as um, they started doing um, a Grubhub, right? Like delivery. Uh, uh, now, that was obviously local, I think, to the to the Boca, Florida area. Right. It wasn't or it wasn't like nationwide, but it was they thought outside the box, which. So I can't put Redcon in that loser category at all. I thought they did some things that were creative and differently that a lot of people, quite frankly, can't do. Like a lot of these brands that we cover, that we work with, aren't getting in the large retail chains like a grocery store. They're just not doing it because they don't know how. And maybe their pricing model doesn't support it. I mean, they can speak to, you know, Joe's, Joe's supplement shop down the street, but to actually pitch at a, at a Meyer meeting, like those buyers are, are harsh sometimes. It's hard to impress those people because they're approached every day with stuff. Um, and the cool thing I think about CPG versus the supplement world, and this is why it's impressive to see brands go into Walmarts and, and things. Even though I don't like the formulas, to get into a Walmart is not easy. It's very difficult because the the category buyers at these places they don't they don't drink the Kool Aid. Like they're not watching social media and know who I am. They they're not you know they don't care about that stuff. They want good price point decent product and they want to know how many points you're going to give them like at the end of the day that's the biggest thing for them is it going to move yeah yeah i think that to your point like kind of covering a little bit more around like the retail points there depending on where your products were at um did create kind of winners and losers if you want to just consider it from like sales Mm -hmm. Uh, because like you said like the food channel or grocery stores, you had mass and then you had club where we're like the three kind of big areas, physical retail areas that if you had products in those spaces, you were doing pretty well. So it was this idea of like the big get bigger um, right. because most of the brands that are in those spaces are usually the bigger brands overall. Mm-hmm. Um, so you did see, you know, somebody like a Glambia or even, you know, muscle farms or things that have like some products in those, in those spaces, cellucores, things like that, that did improve because people were changing the way they were shopping. So they weren't going maybe specialty retail, go to a GNC or a vitamin shop. Right. If they wanted to kind of secure a more safe shopping environment, they were already going just to like Walmart to pick up some groceries. Why not swing over to the active nutrition section? You know, maybe trade down on your pre-workout that week, but it's okay because you're like, you know what? 
next month, maybe I'll change it back up and mm -hmm. go back to my normal buying pattern. But right now, I don't want to risk going and doing something different. So a lot of that kind of happened. And then you also had if people were really well secured in terms of like direct to consumer or Amazon, those brands did extremely well still. But outside of that, if you were really leveraged on, we talked about this before, like if you were really big on uh, mom and pop supplement shops or or just maybe GNC vitamin shop, those types of ones, you were struggling because you you weren't getting the, the general traffic, you weren't getting yeah. what normal, or if you were in a bunch of gyms, say you were selling beverages and your main channel was at Gold's Gyms, 24 Hours, LA Fitnesses, things like that. You just weren't getting any of that traffic. But just to kind of bounce over to Redcon for a little bit, I mean, I think that something that I noticed, at least from, from Aaron's perspective, is that he did get out a little bit more in the media, um, mm -hmm. which I think is, is pretty unique, where he was kind of going beyond um, the traditional kind of sports nutrition media and going yeah. a little bit further than that and trying to tell the story of reopening America and trying to really appeal, I think, to his customer base that he's um, Redcon is really kind of carving out at this yeah. point. So them showing activity, um, them still having meetings and showing the, the distribution center and doing all those types of things that actually did help a little bit for yeah. them. You know, it wasn't a traditional kind of win, you know, what you would consider, but like the activity showing them that like going, 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 I think helped just the peek behind the curtains that mm -hmm. it was still going regardless of what the sales level was or not, if it went down a little bit or not, I, I don't, I don't necessarily know that, but I think that, that they did do some little things that um, would, you know, show that they were obviously not losing. But to your point, like I think from a, what they expected in Q1, Q2, yeah. it, it's probably nowhere near what they I mean, expected. And he admittedly will. I think he's admittedly already mentioned that publicly on Facebook as well as like, you know, we didn't do what we had planned. And, and, and I don't think anybody did. Nobody did. You know, but like <clears throat> for Aaron being and you've spent time with him, I spent time with him being as competitive as he is. I'm sure it just killed him. I'm sure it killed them to to not be able to do that. But what I do know, and what you know, once uh, you know, now moving forward, once he puts his foot back on the gas, it's going to be like all out, you know, in Q Q three Q four. So it'll be interesting to see there. It's to your, you mentioned like there were brands that really supported the brick and mortar model, like wanted to support the mom and pop shop has an entire you know outside sales force that would do that. Um, and because of that, a they didn't make sales. But what even sucks more is like. More so than like not coming out with products and not making sales is so many people lost their jobs. And, and there's a lot of big brands that you and I both know where um, they downsized a ton. Yeah. I mean, even with the SBA loans, like that wasn't enough to, to, to keep people around, uh, left a lot of people unemployed and laid off. So, I mean, we're not trying to pour salt in the wound at all because we totally understand it. But that's I, I guess that is a direct response to the strategy that you implemented and decided to go with. And if you didn't see direct-to-consumer being where you needed to be or at least have a, a strong play in that area a couple of years ago, I think – I mean I personally think it was a huge mistake not to. I mean you, uh, you obviously still can support the brick-and-mortar retail. You should. You should so, still support them, but you can do it differently. Like there are ways to support that channel versus your channel. And if you, and if you think one-dimensionally and you're in a, you're in a vacuum, then you're, you're going to have a hard time and you're going to struggle doing it. That's why um, you know, some, I mean, I, some of the brands that I'm thinking of right now, like they, you're right. They're in LA Fitnesses and brick-and-mortars, and then their sales drop. 40% and then 50%. Well, it's because you didn't build an online business and you didn't care to because, you know, because you thought you're going all in on this. And I would love to support, and, I, and <clears throat> we can talk about the retail stores because they deserve like love too. But I mean, they struggled too, but it's just like, you, you got to figure out that happy medium. And I think the brands that could do that, um, you know, are still around, but then you have brands like ghost, right? Direct to consumer pretty much. And then GNC, which uh, GNC was, Still going to submit POs. Ghost has a, a lifestyle brand. We've all heard that before. But they, 
they did stuff um, in terms of product launches. I mean, they literally just launched their Nutter Butter collaboration, so an authentic collab with Nutter Butter that I don't know if a lot of brands would have launched it during COVID. Uh, they said, well, they had a plan all along, dating back to last year, that they were going to launch it on National Peanut Butter Cookie Day, and they did, regardless of the, the external environment. And uh, I believe one thing about Dan Ryan that people are listening to this, like they, they don't show their cards. They don't brag about making money. They don't brag about growing year over year. They never would have, and I, I don't think they ever will. But if you, through conversation, you can tell they're doing okay. And, um, you know, they, they definitely, I believe, are one of those brands in Q1, Q2 who actually excel and did very, very well. Yeah, I mean, I think with the activity that they had, at least from outward, what people could see, you know, with the license offerings, I think that is still something you push forward with because you've worked so hard mm -hmm. um, with those partners. You have launch plans. You have a lot of things to go to market. It might be, you know, a small um, amount of like pressure that is not going to perform as well as you you would hope just because I think there's just a fraction of people that might not have the discretionary income or whatever. But I still think you can't really put the brakes on something like that. Um, and then the other two products that they launched that were um, not necessarily like licensed flavors, I know they, they had one within it, were for me, I think they were both like extremely on trend. So like Gamer, which if anybody paid attention to like anything around streaming, video game, uh, consoles, um, anything around uh, esports gaming during the time of quarantine, like that was the time to launch anything at yeah. that point because so many people were plugging in and trying things. And then a Greens product, which is again, on trend in the sense of like, you know, general health and wellness products, really bringing that to light and saying, hey, maybe you need to be adding some of this to your normal kind of thing. So to me, I think those two launches were something that was like socially relevant mm -hmm. to the moment. So like they could have had some extra risk in it, but actually got probably de-risked because of what was happening. So you've pushed forward on those ones. And then kind of the other thing that got announced during this time was that um, the partnership, the joint venture with um, yeah. Anheuser-Busch, um, AB InBev. So like, their venture arms like that really shows that they were not only like doing the launches, but also laying the groundwork and still pushing forward on some very massive like plans to transform their business mm -hmm. towards uh, being, you know, having a beverage arm. So I think like to me, they, you know, like from A to Z probably did a lot more than a lot of other people just because, um, you know, if you look at it and you actually understand what they were doing, a lot of it makes a ton of sense. Um, and the moves were made um, as, I guess, as best you could in the situation that you kind of had. But, you know, I, I think that there's another brand, and we're probably going to talk about them as well, but like just to kind of transition into Nutribio. Yep. Um, I've had a few conversations with, you know, that team over the time. And, and even well before this even happened, I spent time in New Jersey like a couple weeks before the whole you know U.S. kind of shut down. And one of the biggest things that uh, myself and, and Mark were talking about was around really leveraging his manufacturing for being a competitive advantage. You know, mm -hmm. I think that he's always kind of leaned in and said like, you know, this is why we have the highest qualities and, and those types of things. But it's also a competitive advantage of how quick you can flip on the switch to create things. Like Literally. so, all of a sudden, you know, you have this need for. Uh, immunity type of uh, immune boost products or general health or wellness, different vitamins, things like that, that um, in the sport nutrition space, um, we're not 
generally offered all that much. There wasn't a lot of brands that championed. Now, you know, if you think more towards like vitamins and minerals category, right. those brands, they have obviously a ton of them. But like, if you want to stay within sports brands and the brands you trust and know, there wasn't a lot of them that were offering products like that. But Nutribio could flip on a switch and then all of a sudden they have a, a basket of products for you that you know still is extremely high quality, mm -hmm. is, you know, everything is taken to the utmost um, standard level. And I think that that was a big um, kind of thing for them to like put a stake in the ground and say like, we can really utilize this manufacturing like for a huge advantage to yep. take on whatever kind of um, trends that are happening in the market. That, I mean, that was quite frankly, I think one of the most impressive things that somebody did um, during this time was exactly, I mean, shut down production of everything, everything that they were doing and, and amped up production of capsules with vitamin C. And then they came out with first response and immunity, like products that are titled appropriately for, for the time going on too, um, to the point where like even that, so it's no surprise, like we use Mark and Nutribio products in FitButters and uh, stock ran low on some of our stuff, you know, because they weren't producing it. So we had to resort to going to like a different size, which was a, a different cost structure. It was fine because they just weren't producing protein powders because they were putting all the efforts into, into this initiative that they were doing, which people need to realize too, like they weren't directly, they weren't making money on this stuff. Like they were giving away a ton of product. Uh, I think the last time I talked to Mark, there was something like 300 K some, some crazy high number in terms of how much product they had given away, which does not surprise me. Um, but where they're going to recoup that benefit, one would think, would be the goodwill and, and the amount of people that they pleased over the last three months. And the people who look at that brand and say, this brand is, is an honorable brand. Like, they're doing the right thing. I want to support them. Because they do have good products. So it's not like they came out with – they didn't launch their ethics line, which we've been waiting for, you know, for like a year now. They, they went the route that they should have went. And, and to your point, having your own manufacturing facility allows you to do whatever you – damn well want for the most part um you know they have a labeling application machine they have like literally everything in that facility everything you could want in that facility yeah. is right there um you know a brand that also was able to turn quickly in terms of immunity products as well which kind of surprised me a bit was like gasperi so gasperi had their immunity stuff an elderberry um and uh i guess they had an immunity product they had an elderberry product and then they had a third product that's escaping right now that was uh, designed to be launched at the end of summer i mean they were able to work with their their contract manufacturer to get that moved up, which doesn't always happen. But you also have to remember that contract manufacturers probably were called by a lot of different supplement brands saying, hey, put that production on hold. We don't need it now. So they were probably looking for things. So that indirectly then helped Gasperi come out pretty quickly with some of the stuff that they were doing. Um, and again, that ability to think and pivot quickly and do that, uh, because Gasperi, no, no offense to, to Rich and Alex and the team over there, like I don't think Gasperi when I think Gasperi, I don't think of a, like a like a like a health brand. Or I never have like you know until recently. Like they have bone broth yeah. and stuff now, right? They're trying to change their tune. But I think most consumers probably wouldn't have expected this type of products, like a, an elderberry gummy. I mean, I have them. They're great. They're cool. I mean, it's just like that came from a sports nutrition brand because they knew that there was a need for that type of stuff in the market. So I think if you were able to to move quickly and do things, or at least keep on with your plan, you end up kind of being in that winner category, at least in my eyes, because um, at least you didn't just roll over and die. You tried some. There are plenty of brands that just sat and waited and waited and used their SBA loan and tried to pay employees the minimum they could to keep them around. Um, but, you know, brands like, like Nutribio, and then you could, we could talk about core nutritionals, Doug Miller, and, and they had a, a brand new, um, basically rebrand, an expensive rebrand. Anybody who's ever worked on a rebrand before knows how expensive that is, how much time goes into it. They launched an entire new white label, all new formulations of their products. They kept with their plan. They probably did. You know, I was talking to a, a retailer um, that, that Josh and I know really well, and he said that they probably did one-tenth of the sales that they normally would do. 
um, on a launch like this. So that just tells you at a retail level kind of where Doug and team probably took a hit, but they wanted to stay the course and they wanted to keep going because they wanted to be relevant in consumers' eyes when they came out of this. And you know, they're definitely relevant in my eyes. I mean, they're one of my favorite brands that I, that, that I use anyway personally, and I think a lot of people out there that at least follow our channel think the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you have the buffer or the, you know, the capitalization to be able to handle, um, some of the risk, um, you can continue to do things. Uh, obviously if you're down to your last few nickels, um, you really don't want to launch something, uh, rebrand or something crazy like that and, and risk your whole business on right. it. You want to just try to figure out how to, you know, kind of extend the runway a little bit and wait until, um, the economy's open back up and then you can kind of go full force back into whatever plans possible. And that's what you're seeing probably with the vast majority of the brands is that they don't have much from cash on hand or um, any, I guess, realistic means of um, raising capital. And they were really just looking for the government to kind of bail them out. And because of that, they just kind of stood around and didn't really know what ultimately to do. I think that we probably didn't see a lot of what um, a lot of these brands were doing, hopefully. Um, hopefully they were doing things inside of their own four walls to secure their house, you know, maybe work on some new initiatives, um, work on some back, uh, back of the house planning and, and strategies and things like that to make sure whenever they do come back out of this, they're a stronger business. So you made a point around like the, the channel. Um, a lot of times, you know, there's a few brands that really like champion, like we're only sold direct or only sold uh, brick and mortar uh, retail. Like we are uh, with it with you guys and whatever. And, and I've always just kind of thought how admirable that was because they're kind of like, why are you riding down a, a Titanic, like down to the ground? I don't really know why you would do that. But it's one of those things where I think if you did not take it in this stance and go like, wow, I, I probably should make some changes in my business. Um, you, I don't know what's going to help you at that point, because yeah. I think that this created so much exposure, like for your business, like you literally, um, could have taken these last four months and like totally redirected your business. If you wanted to, if you really were serious and yeah. you weren't just thinking of this as like some fun little lifestyle business that you make a little money on the side from, like, if this is your life and this is, you have other people that are also employed by you that they're, this is their lives, things like that. You should have been taking this pretty seriously. So I'm curious to see like what the summer looks like. Um, if people are coming out of this stronger, what I'll say is I, I haven't really seen all that much lately, so I don't know. Um, that's not to say that people aren't gearing up, but, um, you know, we'll just kind of see what, what things do. I mean, I'd like to see, um, a lot of brands kind of change up and pivot a little bit um, from what they were doing, especially if they got stuck in the wrong areas. Cause I don't think that anything that happened during COVID um, was fundamentally like not already in the system. Mm -hmm. It just accelerated a lot of things. So like if you didn't already see it coming, this was blatant as possible. You, I mean, you should see it uh, you, you should make the changes. Now, if you don't make the changes after you just saw it right in front of your face, I, there's no hope for you at this point. I think a, a one one good practice over this is if you didn't have product launches and you didn't have much you didn't know what the hell to do you should open <clears throat> you should have opened your books and look at the middle of the P and L and figured out where the hell you could cut cost and where you could become more lean um, and efficient as a company because I think there's just so much irresponsible spending that goes on in some of these businesses that then they find themselves in a tight spot and they're not sure what to do so I mean that could be literally be anything down you know from saving like a nickel on packaging or whatever it might be like just go through it if you have nothing else to do be productive do something well, we talked kinda... a lot around like 
what I mean, we, we don't really talk a lot about it, but like the ski rationalization yeah. theory, you know what I mean? Like literally looking at your image, like, cause most of the time companies, especially in our space, a lot of times inventory is what bankrupts these companies. Mm -hmm. It's not anything else. It's because they have bloated inventory. They have inventories like spread all over the place that things aren't selling. So it's a matter of, because these companies also don't own their own manufacturing. A lot of times there's not much like from a, um, I guess manufacturing efficiency process uh, that you can go through to like try to cut some things. I mean, like you said, I mean, there might be some, some things where you can renegotiate um, some spends on labels or, or things like that. Most of that's going to be forward looking, not ne necessarily like sure. in the moment, but then like from a skew rationalization point, like you should be looking at that and saying like, there's probably 30 or 40% of my SKUs that I need to just like either liquidate, you know, figure out what I need to do, create cash as fast as possible and then get rid of them because they're not really ever going to sell. They're not worth anything. Yeah, I think the biggest thing or the hardest part sometimes is people don't – it's kind of like why we hoarder shit in our lives, right? Like we hate saying goodbye to things, and especially like if you spent time – if you were the formula on that product and you really you really like it yourself and but it doesn't sell, you have a hard time cutting that. Or maybe you have one key account that really likes it. It's like, well, I can't take it away. Well, you, you, you have minimums at your manufacturer that you have to hit. Is he buying the entire minimum from you? Probably not, he or she. So you're right, and, and that was one thing too just from – from from big corporate America is like you the eighty twenty rule is everywhere right like eighty percent of your sales come from like your top X products and the rest is what we call the tail you take a hard look at the tail and you cut the shit out of it if you have to um, and that doesn't mean you have to come out with new flavors to replace them either because that's a big mistake that a lot of people make well if I cut three flavors I have to come out with three no you don't you don't have to do that um, you don't need uh, that's the thing like I mean I, I give Aaron credit because they have like a million flavors of Total War now and it's like I. I don't know how you do it. I mean, you figure out a way to do it. He does, or they, whatever it might be. But I mean, it's just like, I would be overwhelmed just on that one skew, on that one product, having, you know, 20 skews because they're all different flavors. It's like, man, I mean, most, I would say 99% of the companies can't do what he's doing with that many flavor skews on it. But like, that would just make me anxious as I'll get up. Like, you, unless you're going to do, you know, maybe you're doing limited runs on, on certain things. Definitely, you know, that's why I like, I like like the rotating flavors, the limited edition flavors that they launch because it also gives you an opportunity to test it. Like, do does people instead of doing like a, a huge commitment, you know, okay, people like this. Now I'm going to bring it back as a full time flavor. I'm gonna and then I'm going to axe a flavor. Or, you know, if it doesn't do well, then you don't have to bring it back. It's it's pretty simple. But um, I like that, and I would be curious to know how many brands out there actually did that practice and went through that that um, and said, okay, here are I have. 16 SKUs that just, they don't move. So let's liquidate them, let's short sale them, let's get rid of them, uh, and be done with them. And just rid yourself of that burden, which is your cash flow tied up in a bunch of inventory. I'm going to assume not many, no. unfortunately. No. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's just the, the um, a lot of times what I've noticed is, is that uh, brands will, um, you know, they'll add SKUs and they'll see that their um, top line sales are growing and they're thinking, well, we're, we're, we're doing better. But really, their um, core products, be that flavors or be that you know different um, categories of products, are not really growing in, anymore. They're actually diminishing a little mm -hmm. bit. So it's, you're really just bloating your your top line because you're just launching more and you're just spreading your cash out more. So I, I think it's this a probably more of like a fundamental understanding of of the um, how business I guess uh, works in terms of the finance side of things. But I, I think that. If anybody is listening to this and they're thinking, what the heck is skew rationalization or any of those types of things, like, you know, use the Google machine and just literally there's some basic things that at least teach you like some basics on it. Now, there's way kind of complex ways to look at it. But I think just looking and, and taking a real like look in the mirror and saying, what can I do to get better? Um, and it usually 
goes around the inventory side because you don't have a ton of money sitting on your books to just spend on crazy things. Most of your money is sitting in an in, in a uh, facility getting dust on it right now. So kind of get rid of that and, and kind of move forward in a stronger way because I mean, and uh, I'm sure Oreo could probably launch 55,000 things, but you know, they, they stick strong with their, you know, their, their Oreo cookies. They don't launch, uh, you know, chocolate chips. They don't launch, you know, nutter butters. They, they, they just stick in their lane and they go with it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, um, you know, I, I kind of revert, like you think of the losers, it's like not to like directly call brands out, but there are, there are a lot of losers, I think in, in Q1 and Q2, just in terms of the ones that just didn't do anything or just sat back and waited. And they thought, you know, they thought it was going to be two weeks of this and then being a month and they didn't prepare themselves for how long it was going to be. Cause it's literally as of this recording, I mean, it's been, you know, you have all of April, May, June, you have like three and a half months. I think at this point it happened like middle of like beginning of March, something like that, middle of March, yeah. somewhere in there, depending on the part of the country. So it's been a while. It's not done. Who knows when it's going to be done. Um, but it'll be interesting to your point to see, like, let's, let's see what this summer brings because, you know, that it was just a crazy, crazy time. I mean, with the Arnold being canceled, with the Olympia being pushed to December, which that might be a whole podcast for us to talk about and how that's going to be. But um, overall, I think, you know, the brands again, and this is like a repetitive soundtrack here, but the brands that did something or at least attempted to do something and, and, and tried to, you know, if they're going to take a hit, they're going to take a hit swinging. Um, I think they're going to come out stronger on this as, as they're, you know, they were supporting brick and mortar while brick and mortar was either open or not open. They were supporting their direct to consumer model. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what happens from here. I'm not even sure what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So if you guys like what you heard here on this podcast, hit us up on the socials. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. You can listen on iTunes, Spotify, watch via YouTube. Um, we'd love to hear some comments and feedback on this, especially if you're within the industry and kind of like, you know, your feedback on what you experienced. The thing is like a lot of people will, um, They'll dress it up that, that, you know, they won't say it was as bad as it was like, just have a cold, have a, have a real come to Jesus talk with yourselves and just be like, yo, it was terrible. And what am I going to do to be better tomorrow? And then hopefully you're able to implement what you think you need to do. Or you, you, I mean, you bring in your team and you, you do some type of internal consult consultation or you, you bring in Josh, even though I don't think Josh can, have you flown yet? Like in the last month? I haven't. It's, it's driving me crazy. So Josh hasn't flown, so he's probably not coming to you. But if you pay me enough, I'll fly. I don't care. I'll wear a damn N95 mask, even though I ain't got one. But um, hit that subscribe button, write us a review, help us out with the algorithm. Uh, until next time, we'll chat with you then. Subscribe to our podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and more. Follow us along on our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Two Guys, One Cup, Instagram, and Twitter.